Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lust, ever learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, Purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Acts 2 and 14, you can probably quote it. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem... Be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Notice here that Paul is going to give us a list that is at best reprehensible. But this is what he said. This know also that in the last days, perilous times, will come. Then in Acts, Peter stands, they've just been baptized in the Holy Ghost, and he says, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. 
in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. I want to preach to you just for a little bit on how to last in the last days. How to last in the last days. Stretch your hand this way. Ask the Lord to anoint. Father, in the name of Jesus. Come before you asking you to speak tonight through your servant. I need the unction of my spirit. I need the power of your spirit. Oh God, speak. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You may be seated here tonight. How to last in the last days. It is apparent even just by these two texts that we read tonight that there are two plans of God for the last days. There will be those who will latch on to a last day outpouring of the Spirit of God. And there will be those who are a part of this list of reprehensible characteristics that Paul gave us. And I want you to note that the, Paul is not writing about what the world would look like. Paul is writing about spirits and attitudes that would be attached to the church. In fact, what Paul is writing about is the apostasy that would encroach upon the church before Jesus returned to catch his bride away. Now we know the word apostasy and we hear the word apostasy a bit. But oftentimes we're not quite settled about what apostasy is. Because we'll point to other people and say they're apostate or that church is a church of apostasy. But really it's not our responsibility to be concerned about who is apostatized and who hasn't. Our responsibility is to know whether or not we have stayed right or whether we are a part of this great falling away. When we look at the word apostasy, the English word means the abandonment or the renunciation of religious belief. It could be broke down to simply depart from the faith. That's the English word. But understand that an apostate is one who moves away from something that he formerly held as true. Now there are two words used in the Greek New Testament for apostasy. First is the most common word. It is the word apostasia. And it is from where we get our English word apostasy. The noun apostasia is a, is a compound Greek word. Uh, or a compound of two Greek words. Apo, meaning from, and isteme, which means to stand. So if you put them together, it means to stand away from. Once I was close to this truth, but now I have distanced myself away from it. 
Stay with me. I'm headed somewhere. Secondly, the, the use of the word apostasy can be the Greek word pipto, which simply means to fall or fall away, or one that is falling away from the faith. When we examine apostasy, it is startling if you study to find that it is one of the most frequently mentioned problems in the scripture. In fact, there are large volumes of scripture passages in the epistles alone that are devoted to the issue of apostasy. I'm going to take the time because I want this to be impressed upon you. You will find apostasy in Romans 1, 18 through 32. You will find it in Romans 16, 17 through 18. 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 15. And 2 Corinthians 13 and 5. You will find it in Galatians 1, 6 through 9. And chapter 5, 1 through 12. You will find it in Philippians 3 and 2. And also uh, in verses 18 through 19 of chapter 3. You will find it in Colossians chapter 2, verses 4 through 23. In 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 7, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3, 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5, 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 26, and in our text tonight, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9, in 2 Timothy 4 and 15, Titus 1, 10 through 16, Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, Hebrews 3, 7 through chapter 4, 13, Hebrews 5, 12 through chapter 6 and verse 12, Hebrews 10, 26 through 31, Hebrews 12, 14 through 17, 1 Peter 3, 19 through 20, 2 Peter 2, 1 through 22, and 2 Peter 3, 3 through 10, 1 John 2, 18 through 23, 1 John 3, 4 through 12, 1 John 4, 1 through 6, 2 John 9, and Jude verse 3 through verse 23. So when we talk about apostasy, we need to understand that this was an issue that the disciples or the apostles were aware of and they were warning us against falling into the pit of apostasy. Now understand that apostasy and its evil effects provide the main message for books such as Galatians, such as 2 Thessalonians, the book of Hebrews, the book of Revelation. Further, Paul warned the Ephesian elders that, uh, that uh, after spending three years with them teaching, he warned that when he departed, I know this, that after my departing, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Now, when we look at the Bible in its totality, we must understand that there was an imminent danger of apostasy even in the days of Peter and Paul and John and the writer of Hebrews. Now, what is this, though? Because two things that I noticed about apostasy, it's, rip, it's riddled through the Scripture. But we rarely preach or teach on apostasy. Now, there are two categories of apostasy that you must understand. First, and let me get off this because I'm headed somewhere. We're going to have church tonight. Listen, apostasy relates to the area of doctrine. 
specifically. An apostate is one who moves away from the sound doctrine of the New Testament to a false or unhealthy teaching that does not line up with the Bible. Well, I used to believe that was true, but now I've saw the light. No, you've turned into the darkness and you've walked away from what was true. That is one stage of apostasy. But secondly, apostasy relates to behavior. Anyone who professes to be a believer and does not follow the New Testament code of separation and holiness is viewed as an apostate. We could say it like this. Apostasy deals with word and deed. Apostasy deals with what we believe about the word and how we act in our lives. Now John was very clear about this in 1 John. If you read 1 John, you're going to find somebody who did not have gray areas. Right? There was either truth or doctrines of devils. There was either darkness or there was light. There was a, he just, boom, boom, boom. If you wanted to summarize 1 John, it would be this. What you believe will affect how you behave. That's how you summarize 1 John. And John is dealing with an apostate spirit that has crept into the church. And he is reminding them that spirits and attitudes, as well as world events that the saints of God can feel and see, are great indicators that we are close to the coming of the Lord. And the last day spirit of apostasy, as it runs rampant, is one of the signs that we are close to Jesus coming back to catch away his bride. Now we went through our list tonight in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we talk, it is called by some the checklist of his return. It is a moral checklist. Now there are some things folks that we can see that will allow us to know that the coming of the Lord is upon us. Okay, that there are there are the beginning of sorrows that Jesus tells us about, kingdom against kingdom and nation against nation, famines, pestilences, earthquakes in divers places, false Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when people say people act like you know, well, a false Christ is somebody that says I'm Jesus. There's more to a false Christ than that. Yeah. They're teaching a doctrine that is contrary to Christ. They're presenting Christ in a light that is not true. And Jesus said, I am the truth. You can't represent me outside of truth and truly be telling who I am. Let me say this. This is why we have to be careful about what doctrines we accept. Doctrines like oneness. Well, it's just about the same. No, it's a different Christ. It's a different Jesus. And we cannot accept that doctrine or else we are not telling the truth. And if we're not telling the truth, we are apostate. Now there are seven major passages. I hope you can stay with me until I get where I want to preach. There are seven major passages that warn of the dangerous latent during the church's last days. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, which we're going to deal with tonight. 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. James 5, 1 through 8. 2 Peter 2, 1 through 22. I'm giving you these because I want you to understand how ingrained in the scripture this is. 
2 Peter 3, 3 through 6, Jude 1 through 25. Now listen. Virtually every one of these passages come from epistles written shortly before the death of each apostle writing. I want you to think about that for a minute. Because we're about to die... And when you're about to die, the things that press your mind are not inconsequential. If you know you're about to die, you're thinking about things like, is the life insurance paid up? How how should my wife divide? I need to leave some instruction. I need to leave some instructions for my children. I need to make sure that I see the people that I love. If there's anybody I need to apologize to, I want to apologize. But here are these apostles. They're about to die. And they're saying, be careful of apostasy. Be careful of falling away. Be careful that you don't believe the word. Be careful that your deeds do not reflect the New Testament purity of Jesus Christ. Every one of these passages emphasizes over and over again the great characteristic of the final time of the church would be an atmosphere of apostasy. Mentioned it already. The final church age. The church of Laodicea. Look at our church. We have 2,000. Look at all we're doing. We're feeding the sick. We're casting out devils. We're feeding the hungry. We're healing the sick. We're casting out devils. All in the name of Jesus. Look at us. Our women look like men. And if they don't look like men, they look like harlots. Look at our men. They look like women. We don't have any modesty. There's no separation and there's no standard. But we're doing everything that God has told us to do. And in the end, Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. Why? Because you presented a Christ that was false. You presented a word that was false. And this is what Laodicea is. We have our building. We have our programs. Look at us. We're rich. And we're increased with goods. There's never been an hour for the church like this. And God says, you're wretched and naked and miserable and blind. You're lukewarm. We get caught up, don't we? But I went there and I felt God. Yeah. Go on down to the harlot's house. She'll kiss you and you'll feel something. That doesn't make it legitimate. Come on here. When we begin to judge the righteousness, the correctness, the truth of what we are involved in by what we feel, we are in a place of danger. Do you know why tonight I can shout about Jesus coming? Because I've heard three messages so far that were grounded in truth. They were rooted in truth. And I can rejoice in this atmosphere because I know that the truth is honored. It is pushed from this pulpit. And I have no problem praising God in an environment where truth is believed. God says, I would that you were either hot or cold. This is the problem of the church in the last day. 
We want to be right in the middle. We don't want to be hot enough that we run sinners off. And we don't want to be cold enough that Christians can't come in. We just want to stay right in the middle. Come on here. That's where we're at. I hope the Holy Ghost doesn't move tonight. There's 13 visitors. I hope sister so-and-so doesn't shout tonight. There's 13 visitors. I hope she does. I hope she gets beside herself. And I hope everybody in that pew has the Holy Ghost dumped on them. I hope we manifest. I said I hope we manifest the power of the Holy Ghost in our life. Why? Because I don't want to be lukewarm. I want to be hot. I want to have a mark. I want to say I still believe in holiness. I still believe in revival. I still believe in the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in the church. We've become afraid of a move of God. We don't want to offend people. Let me tell you why. Because you're lukewarm. Come on here. We're lukewarm. We're not hot enough to run off the sinner or convict him to get saved. And we're not so cold that good people can't come in and say, well, it seems like a good church. It's a little dead, but you know. Let me tell you something. You find a dead church, hang around long enough, you'll also find a dumb church. And what I mean by that is you'll find a church that doesn't preach right doctrine. Because where right doctrine is preached, the Holy Ghost will come. He will come. Amen. Well, glory to God. Because when right doctrine is preached, you are preaching Christ. Well, some of y'all are so sleepy you can barely stay with me. Listen. Dr. Pentecost, J. Dwight Pentecost notes, this condition at the close of the age is seen to coincide with the state within the Laodicean church before which Christ must stand to seek admission. Its close, it is in its close, it is not surprising that the age is called an evil age in Scripture. Now, the New Testament pictures the condition within the professing church at the end of the age by a system of denials. They will deny the denial of God, Luke 17 and 26, 2 Timothy 3, 4 through 5. The denial of Christ, 1 John 2 and 18. 1 John 4 and 3, 2 Peter 2 and 6. The denial of Christ's return, 2 Peter 3, 3 through 4. The denial of the faith, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2 and Jude 3. The denial of sound doctrine, 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. They heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They don't want you to preach anything to them. Denial of the separated life, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Denial of Christian liberty, 1 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. Denial of morals. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 8, and verse 13 in Jude 18, denial of authority, 2 Timothy 3. Deny. Deny. Notice that with a denial comes a loss. If you deny God, you lose God. If you deny morals, you lose morals. 
If you deny Christian liberty, you lose Christian liberty. If you deny sound doctrine, you lose sound doctrine. Oh. The last day church consists of constant warnings to the believer to be on guard against doctrinal defection known as apostasy. But scripture indicates that apostasy will characterize Christendom during the time when the rapture will take place. So when you talk to me about that lost church and that apostate church, I don't get depressed. I don't get discouraged. I begin to rejoice. Because I know that his return is imminent. He is close to coming back. That's why I could say, preacher, preach on. It won't be long. That's why I can say church worship on. It's not going to be long. Yes, there is a dearth of apostasy that is sweeping across the church in these last days. But Jesus is coming and it's worth standing flat-footed and standing on the gospel and living your life clean before God. Now, as we come to our text tonight, and I'm getting where I want to preach. Paul uses the term last days. Now, when Paul uses this term, it is used to cover the entire period between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. Now, understand, there are some events that are going to take place for the age of the church. But most of the prophecies that are given concern God's dealing with Israel. We're going to feel the effects. We're going to feel it. I mean, it's good. some of the things that are happening, some of them we're already feeling. So don't, don't say that, I, that I'm preaching that you're not going to know and you're just going to be raptured out. We are seeing those times. And we know if those prophecies about Israel are being fulfilled and we're feeling the waves, that the rapture has to take place first. And the more that's being fulfilled over there is moving us closer on the timeline to the coming of the Lord. So when you see the term last days, understand that they might not have separated it, but they understood that there was going to be a return, a coming, and then there's going to be a return. And everything they wrote about was pointing to the day of the Lord, to the coming of the Lord, to the return of the King. Hallelujah. But notice what John says in 1 John 2 and 18. Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come. How many know he's going to come? Middle of the week. We're not going to be here. People always ask me, who do you think the Antichrist is? I don't. Don't care. Not going to be here. I'm not going to hang around to watch the show. I'm not that interested. Amen. Listen to me. But he said, look, but even now there are many antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. He said, look around you. When you begin to see the antichrist spirit exist in people, you know it is the last time. 
You better be prepared. You better have your heart clean, swept, and garnished, full of the Spirit. You better be ready because it is the last time. Now listen to me. The idea here is that the coming of Christ is so transforming that the kingdom has already come. The old world is dying out. It is coming to an end. And we are now already in the last days. Yeah. John was in the last days. Paul was in the last days. People always ask me, do you think we're in the last days? Duh. Yeah. We're in the last days. The coming of the Lord is imminent. Amen. But when the Apostle Paul refers to the last days in the passage of 2 Timothy, he is not writing something that is for a future generation. We read that and we think, boy, when it gets close to the end, we're going to see these things. Paul is writing and saying, this is going on now. Perilous times are now. The term that he uses, perilous, means violence or wild conduct. It is the same Greek word used to describe the demoniac of Gadara, Kalepos. It means dangerous, fierce. It cannot be bound. It cannot be controlled. It cannot be chained. He said, here's what I want you to know. In the last days, there's going to be a spirit. I just can't get through to him, Brother Woods. I'd counsel him. i pray for him. They just rebel. They just, I don't understand. Don't be perplexed by that. We are in perilous times. We are in perilous times. I'm going to preach to y'all or some of y'all. Preachers are fine, but some of y'all back there are glass-eyed. Amen. Listen to me. You may not be able to reach everybody, but because we're in perilous times and some people refuse to be controlled. I'm not going to be controlled by you, Pastor. Not asking you to be controlled by me. Asking you to be controlled by the Word of God. Asking you to be controlled by the Spirit of God. And they will agree together and bring liberty in your life. Now, Paul's going to describe what uncontrolled times look like in verses 2 through 5. He will list 18 characteristics of this age with a clause to include a 19th. Now, I'm not going to cover all these in detail because you'll go to sleep. But the first four depict selfishness. Selfishness. The root of all sin begins with selfishness. When Satan was thrown out of heaven, he started with, I will. I will. I will. You eat that fruit, you will be like God. Let me eat it. The root of sin is selfish. He starts this. They will be lovers of themselves. They will be lovers of money. They will be boastful and they will be proud. It's all about themselves. The next two terms suggest socially destructive behavior. They would be blasphemers. This is impious railing. That means they get angry and they cuss and scream and yell and tell everybody what they think. Careful about giving people peace of your mind. You might have none left when you're done. They're blasphemers. 
They want to step further. They're disobedient to parents. This means they're unpersuadable by the counsel of authority. Don't do that, son. And that's exactly what you do. You sit with an elder of the church and he tells you, don't do this. This is not wise. And that's exactly what you do. You, you are taking on an apostate spirit. Sitting right in church saying hallelujah on Sunday and glory to God. Ignoring what God has spoken through his man, through his word. Going about your life. You are disobedient and you are a part of an apostate spirit that is running rampant in the house of God. Now watch this. These are followed by four words that imply an absence of something. We're not called to be absent of things. We're called to have an abundance. But notice what he says. They're unthankful. An absence of thankfulness. They're unholy. An absence of holiness. They're without natural affection. A loss of normal and right affection. They're hard-hearted towards kindred. I literally worked with the lady and she, she was showing me a picture of her dog and I could have cared less. If you want to aggravate me, call your dog a baby in front of me. Come here, my baby. You have the ugliest kids I've ever seen in my life. Amen. Amen. Don't show me their picture before I've had my first cup of coffee, please. Amen. But she showed me the picture and I said, well, that's nice. I said, uh, uh, and she said, oh, I love my dog. My dog's my family. My dog's like my son. I said, your dog's like your son? And I'll, I mean, I mean, my hackles just... And I said, uh, you mean to tell me if your house was on fire? You'd, you'd leave your son and take your dog? She said, I'd have to think long and hard about it. But you tell me in a society that is without natural affection, when men can stand outside an abortion clinic and say, you don't have to kill that baby. We'll pay for all of the adoption fees. We'll adopt it. We'll give it a home. We'll pay for all your medical costs. And they'll say, I could never give my baby up for adoption, but you can kill it. What's wrong with you? You are without natural affection. But let's get it down to where we live. Missionaries come and begin to tell you about uh, the children that are starving, that are hungry. Uh, street preachers come and tell you about people that are strung out and need help. And you are not moved with compassion. $20? Then church is over and your family says, hey, can we go through the McDonald's drive-thru? Sure, that's only $35. You're without natural... Oh, God. You're without natural affection. I can't pay my tithe, but I can pay my cable bill. You're without natural affection. They went on. He said, you're a truce. But, well, some of you are looking, uh, looking a little shocked. Look straight ahead and smile. We'll get through it together. Amen. It said, fourthly, there would be truce breakers. There would be an absence of honesty. They are not able to be trusted. They talk out of both sides of their mouth. 
I could preach on any one of these for an hour, but I'm just... Let's get it down to where we are. Lord, I'll never do it again if you'll forgive me. If you'll just get me out of that mess, Lord, I'll never climb back in it. Six months later, you're back there. Oh, God, I'm in the mess again. You're a truce breaker. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Two more characteristics accompany these attributes of absence. And they not only denote absence, but they denote action. There's nothing more dangerous than the absence of things and you act. You don't have common sense, you shouldn't act. If you don't have wisdom, you shouldn't act. Come on here. He said, but they are false accusers. They are actively seeking to destroy others, but they have no truth. Oh, God. Do you know how many ministries have been ruined? One of my good friends started preaching. I, I know, I know, it's not a camp meeting message. You're just going to have to put up with it. Amen. And so one of my friends started a ministry and uh, preaching and evangelizing. And there was a girl at the church that was there. And he went out of his way not to be around her. But she followed him and talked to him. And one night, she was standing at the door. Everybody had went into the fellowship hall. He went to get change his shirt and came back. And she was standing at the door. He had to come through the door by her. And, and she told him, she said, you're going to be mine. I don't care what happens. I'm going to get you. You're going to be mine. And so he said, I'm not, ma'am. I don't want anything to do with you. And he went on into the fellowship hall. Well, she got to telling people that, that he had uh, came at her. That he had put his hands on her. That he had tried to force himself on her in the door. And that now they had to be together. Before that boy had a chance to defend himself, a lie went around the world. Come on. It went around the world. But everything she said was false. You understand when you begin to speak about people, things that you don't absolutely know are true, that you have become a false accuser, you become like the devil who is an accuser of the brethren. He said they'd become incontinent. What does that mean? Again, they lack something. He said they don't have the power to control themselves. If you think about it in a medical sense, you know what incontinent means. But it's talking about morally. It's talking about in your character. You are unable to control yourself. That's why you have sins that you can't stop. Because you're incontinent. That's why you come to church and you get a hold of God and you feel like you got victory and you go out the door and you fall again because you're incontinent. I'm telling you, you got to shake yourself and say, I refuse to be a part of this apostate spirit. I'm not going to be a part of this apostate church. Now Paul will summarize the spirit of the last days. By saying there would be despisers of those who were good. They are opposed to goodness and they are opposed to good men. In the second church that I pastored, a man came and said, I don't believe that you're as good as you, as you seem to be and I'm going to prove it. Okay. <laughs> Have fun. 
They oppose goodness. And they oppose good men. Oh, go ahead and start an outreach and you got the church members that'll say, well, that's a little expensive. I'm not sure we can afford that. I'm sure we can't afford not to. I'm not sure we can afford to run buses every Sunday. Maybe we should back that down. I'm not sure that we can afford to go out every Saturday and feed and have a dinner after Sunday for, for homeless. I'm not sure that we can afford that. We just, you know what they're doing? They're opposing goodness. Come on, we're talking about an apostate spirit. They're traitors. I don't have to explain that. They're heady. Heady means they fall forward headlong. No ability to listen and no ability to plan. My God, you sit people down and you give them counsel and they ignore it and fall headlong and then say, Pastor, I'm in a mess. No joke, you're in a mess. You didn't do anything I told you to do. They take their life and they crush it and they shatter it and then they bring all the pieces back. Would you put this together again? Can't do it. Sorry. You have to take that to the feet of Jesus. There's not enough crazy glue in the world to put that back together. They're heady. Young people, this is a mark of the last day. When you will not listen to your parents and you rush headlong into things. When you won't listen to the counsel of wisdom and you don't plan and you rush headlong into things. It's an apostate spirit. Y'all wish you'd shouted with the youth choir now, don't you? Amen. He said they're high-minded, puffed up with pride. The Greek bears out they're deceived by their own smoke. <laughs> Took my kids to a fun maze once, mirror maze, and in one part there was smoke. And I was walking through, and I saw a mirror, and the smoke was, I said, Wow, look at that. And the smoke, I looked halfway skinny. Half of me, half of me was hidden by the smoke. Come on here. Don't I look good? I believe my own smoke. I'm puffed up. Come on here. Look how good we are. They're deceived by, by their own tricks, by their own uh, uh, falsities, by their own falsehoods. And they become high-minded. They're lovers of pleasure. They have a form of godliness. They are outwardly conformed, but they are inwardly missing the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, I get nervous when people come in and get saved. Now, I shouldn't say nervous, but I, I get cautious when people come in and get saved. And the next time you see them, they look like they've been saved 50 years. I start trying to, to, to probe a little bit. I start trying to discern. You know why? Because we'll do things, but we're really not transformed on the inside. Come on here. And then all of a sudden it gets hard and trials come and tests come. And all of a sudden we start going back to dressing how we used to dress and wearing what we used to wear and doing what we used to do. And then we say, well, I never believed it anyway. Well, whose fault is that? You never gave yourself a chance to be transformed by the power of the gospel. 
You can't just live something because you feel it. You've got to know why you feel it. The apostate world lives that. They do what they feel, but we do what thus saith the word of God. are subjective last night I didn't feel like preaching I'm just being honest with you I told my wife I said man I ain't got it together I've prayed I've fasted I've studied I don't have it together just don't have it together I got in the pulpit and leaned on my notes tonight I felt like preaching and I'm still not preaching amen I'm using my notes. I can't stand it. I like my mind to be free. I like the anointing to touch my mind. But listen to me. You can't go by feelings. When God calls you to preach, you preach. If God calls you to stand, you stand. If God calls you and leads you to holiness through His Spirit and His Word, live holy. It's not subjective. I don't feel like loving my wife today. You what? That's not subjective. I'll never forget hearing Brother Clinton and say, man, came to him. He said, I just got to tell you, I, I fell out of love with my wife. So what do I do? He said, go pray through and fall back in love with your wife. Go love her. Hey man, it's not subjective. It's are you listening to me? It's not based on a feeling what God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. It is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. An apostate church says that's how I feel, but a church that's founded on the word says that's what God says and what he says, whether I like it, whether I don't like it, I'm gonna stand on it because it's right. Heard a preacher stand in the pulpit and say, I'm going to preach something, but if you don't like it, you don't have to live it. I thought, sit down. If it ain't worth living, it ain't worth preaching. I said, if it's not worth living, it's not worth preaching. We are in perilous times. <laughs> there is not a doubt in my mind that we are in the last days. I know other preachers have said it, but I'll be astonished. I'll be astonished if my littlest ever have a family. I'm being honest with you. I'll be astonished. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm looking for him to come any moment. Any moment. Wouldn't surprise me if we didn't make it to altar call. I'm serious. I'm looking for him to come at any moment. It can't go on much longer. The apostasy is almost complete. 
and what is left is a remnant of God's people who are still holding on. I'm telling you, it's about to wrap up. We're about to go home. We're about to see Jesus. It's almost over. It's almost over. Gear up and preach another Sunday. It might be the last one. Preach another Wednesday. It might be the last one. I'm telling you, the coming of the Lord is imminent tonight.